You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. And this is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor. Dr. Robin. Here we are again. Here we are. And it is a, it is a, a holiday week, um, a week that many are celebrating being together with their families and, and eating copious amounts of food that they wouldn't normally eat at any other time of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I never know why it's okay during the holidays to be gluttonous, but... Right. <laughs> but apparently, you know, it's, it is what it is. So, oh. you know, happy week of all the food. Yes. And a lot has been happening in the world. Yes. And it's almost uh, hard to choose what to talk about. But I think with the recent verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse and the media coverage of that, it's worth teasing that apart a little bit and spending, spending a fair amount of time talking about that. Yes. Um, that's what's on my heart. Yeah, same. I um, have, as you listeners may know or, and realize, we, we skipped a week because I, I was away. And so a lot has happened since Robin and I were on the air together. And um, I, I agree with you. I think that that's the, the most logical thing to kind of spend some time connecting the dots on. Um, but how are you? How how has your how have the last few weeks been for you since we haven't been together? Yeah, uh, I mean, busy. Uh, sure. I feel like things are just starting to slow down, and I close my calendar for December so that I can kind of rest and restore and prepare for the spring. Um, things have been busy, and I was able to get my COVID booster shot on Monday. And I'm having just a very, very mild reaction to it. Nothing really to spend any time on. But, you know, I feel, you know, I feel better having that extra layer. And the semester is coming to an end. And so my students are scrambling to finish writing assignments and uh, final projects and whatnot. Um and yeah, things are just, uh, they feel like they get back, get backed up for a little bit. And then there's some spaciousness and I'm feeling like I am getting to be the recipient of some of that spaciousness. I did just finish a book, which I'm gifting all of ATP at our retreat, uh, which has really just uh, invited me into a new practice of presence. And so I'm trying to pay attention to 
something other than my screen, which is hard to do these days in a world of what this author calls the attention economy. Uh, but I'm good. I'm I'm glad. We're not doing anything tomorrow. We're not cooking. We're not doing a damn thing. And we're going to watch TV and relax and drink copious amounts of coffee and sparkling water and just enjoy and some downtime. Maybe switch to a bourbon as the sun goes down. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's possible. That's lovely. I, you know, I, I am, I'm so grateful that you are having some, that you see the uh, possibility of some spaciousness coming your way. I, I allowed myself that spaciousness um, over the last two weeks. I, I have never, ever taken a two week uh, vacation. I've never been away for more than one week. That's always kind of been my maximum like what I have felt has been the most I could ever allow myself. Yeah. And so for the very first time I um, turned my, my life outside of myself off for two weeks and spent some time with friends and live music and um, laughter and uh, relaxation, which I mean, really it, it restored me in ways that I didn't recognize that I needed. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know that I will see the kind of spaciousness that you have set up for yourself in December because December is a very busy month for me. Yeah. Being someone who, um, owns a small business and, right. you know, has retail as a, and, and the holiday, and the holiday season as is a, a, it's big a big time. part of, yeah. right. It's a big part of, you know, making sure that my business can survive through the the darkness of the first quarter of 2022 yeah. when when sales are not at their peak. And so yeah. I am I, I am really grateful that I was able to have the last two weeks to kind of do that yeah. just decompression and and relaxation and and allow myself that gift. And um, I am having a house full of folks. Over tomorrow, uh, really just a lot of people that are um, going to be by themselves. And so yeah. we have opened our house to um, to folks that are friends that, you know, want to want to have a meal and yeah. sit around the table. And are so you cooking? I am. Okay. I am. I'm what all, what's all on the menu? Oh my gosh. Um, so Chattanooga is only two hour drive for me. I mean, you, you, there's plenty of food. If y'all decide you want to stop drinking coffee and mosey on down. Um, yeah. So I, I'm roasting a turkey. Um, I've, our, I've got a big vat of stuffing and corn casserole and macaroni and cheese and grilled green beans, Brussels sprouts and mashed potatoes. That's what's coming out of my kitchen. And yep. then others are bringing rolls and cranberry cool. sauce and um, champagne and desserts and contributing to the cool. the spread. So yeah. I have been, I've been trying to prepare over the last day or so, you know, making a dish that I can put in the fridge and then put right. in the oven tomorrow. So I, yeah. I'm feeling, I'm feeling organized. Yeah. As of now, yeah, <laughs> we'll, see, yeah. we'll see how things feel around noon tomorrow. If that's going to still be the case, yeah, yeah. Um, you'll you'll know how organized I am based on when I open the first bottle of white wine. Right. <laughs> we uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving a little early when Aaron's mom was here and had folks over, and 
we did chicken this year from the butcher shop and then took the chicken and made soup out of it, made a broccoli soup, which was very good. So we've been still eating on the chicken from the soup, you know, and man, let me tell you, there's nothing like a good chicken stock, you know? Yeah, it's true. Like homemade chicken stock. Exactly, exactly. With carrots and onions and parsnips and all the seasonings and whatnot. So we have been still enjoying the harvest, but doing it introvert style. Sure. I, I I love that this time of year allows us to... Um, be more intentional than some of us may be prone to be with gathering with those that we care for. Um, you know, I also lament that this time of year forces um, bio families into gathering in uncomfortable ways and yeah. ways that are not healthy for all the people that are around the table. And so right. I'm cognizant of both of those dynamics and, you know, we'll, we'll relish tomorrow's chosen family yeah. table and, yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and our capacity to, to be, um, just a, you know, warm and, uh, out of, out of the elements cool. location for yeah. people to come and, and hang out. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of uncomfortable dynamics, let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Hmm. That's <laughs> <laughs> segue, segue. Yeah. What a mess. Um, I, so I I am going to assume that the majority of our listeners understand, you know, why we're, we're speaking of this. Um, Kyle is the adolescent who uh, crossed from Illinois into Wisconsin into Kenosha uh, during the um, uprisings after George Floyd was murdered and um, with an assault rifle, killed, murdered two men and injured a third, claimed that he did so in self-defense and was put on trial for those murders and and that maiming. And um, his verdict came back last week and he was found not guilty of the charges. Of all charges. Of all charges. Um some of those, some of that decision was directly from the bench. The judge made some of those decisions in dropping some of the charges right. that he had originally been um, indicted with. And the jury found him not guilty on the rest of the counts. Um, and, you know, because of that, Kyle Rittenhouse and the majority of the evangelical and problematic right believe that our jury system works the way that it was intended to work. Including our Democrat president. Including, yes, including our Democrat president, who uh, minded his P's and Q's almost to an uncomfortable point when he made a statement about um, the outcome of the verdict. And so, I mean, I think we have a lot to, we have a lot to unpack with this. Um, you know, there is a, a conversation from my vantage point around, um, you know, can 
something that is deemed to be a legal act based on our constitution still also be a sin. Mm. Um, there is the question of, you know, a, a system that we are a part of and participate in that functioned exactly as it was designed to protect those who it was designed to protect all along. Right. Um, you know, we have a conversation around white male vigilantism that is undeniable now. Um, and then, and, and I would then also say we have a conversation around what does this mean for those of us who spend a lot of our time in the streets moving forward? And how does the perception over what happened with the verdict empower or sanction the acts of others, you know, moving forward as we look at what nonviolent resistance and the work in the streets really um, is called to do. Yeah. And I'm sure you have other things on your list that um, are also worthy of, <laughs> of talking about as it relates to this. I mean, the list is very long, right? Yeah. I mean, we could spend weeks on this. I, I think the thing that troubles me the most is that this verdict feels to me like a direct call to arms that it's okay for white people who are upset with resistance movements to respond in violent ways. I've never thought that violence is a way to respond to conflict. Right. And I say that as someone who has suffered a great amount of abuse from parents um, and family members, I, I've never thought that violence is an answer. Conflict is inevitable in any relationship, but um, difference and cosmopolitanism is what's going to allow us as a society to flourish if we homogenize things we're just domesticating sameness and maybe also domesticating polarization and that's not good and so i have a lot of thoughts about about the fact that no the jury system actually doesn't work and and even even you know the the trial down in Georgia Ahmad Arbery murder trial you know there's a precedence now for letting people off the hook so how do we act, you know my my go back to this question how do we actually be in relationship with people and what does accountability look like because the, the, the legal system is biased toward black and brown people. So black and brown folks are going to face harsher sentencing while the white counterparts are just let off the hook. So 
where is accountability? And then, you know, why would a Democrat president say the jury works and, and I mean, we are all deeply compromised, I understand, but what compels someone to say that? Because that's like a definitive statement. The system works. When he's on record talking about how the system doesn't work. So there's a lot there to to unpack and hash out and and I I think I think one of the one of the main things that we have right now in the sort of cultural ether is white anguish the white folks are anguishing over their reality and it seems that their only response is to respond violently and there are a lot of other options emotional responses from you know not just collapse or violence you know there there are other responses that people can can give but this white anguish that is part of the ether seems to be driving a lot of action that results in violence and that feels very scary as a trans person, as a Latinx. Uh, I feel very scared. I mean, I, I just was talking to Blake last night, who was over, who is a trans femme person. And, and I said, you know, I don't go out at night very much because it, it makes me nervous. And I don't like being kind of chained to my house with no options, but we live in a world where violence is the preferred response to anything. And I, I, I'm like, how do we practice being human with one another? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I initially, so I had a conversation, uh, several days ago with a white man who I would say whose politics and, and ethics are uh, more in line with ours than they are not. And yet he's also a gun owner mm -hmm. and believes very, very fervently in his right to carry and bear that arm. If he is threatened in any way, shape or form, um, so much so that he, he said to me, you know, I, uh, if someone drew their gun on me, my first response is, uh, draw my own gun and kill them versus being killed. Wow. And I entered into that conversation with curiosity and said, so why is your initial reaction that the drawing of someone else's gun is to kill you? Right. Why is there not some kind of conflict resolution or some kind of narrative in your head 
that allows you to be curious about why that gun has been drawn and yeah are there are there things other than your initial response to then also draw and shoot immediately versus to put your hand up and enter into conversation or deflect or i mean look i i'm i am a i am not a gun owner i am also uh i also don't respond to violence with violence. And so my tendency is never to react in the same or a more violent way than the, than the other person that I may be in conversation with might react to me. But it's so interesting to me that that, I mean, that's his, that's, that was his very first reaction. And, and I said to him, I said, now you are, you are, I mean, he is, he is very well versed in, in, biblical scholarship. Um, I said, you know, why, why would you say that your initial response is to kill when you very well know the story of Barabbas and how the crowd, it's the crowd is to allow Barabbas to go free yeah. Just in the same way that the jury allowed Kyle Rittenhouse to go free, yeah. Um, but in Barabbas's place, the 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 Jesus that you claim to be a follower of is the one that is murdered. Yeah. Um. You know, like what what is it that that what it just feels like such a radical disconnect for me. <laughs> like it makes my head really just hurt and melt, and I, like I can't, I can't even get myself on the side of recognizing difference because I can't rationalize those yeah. kinds of thoughts within my own brain. Well, I think about the Cain and Abel story. Right. Right. And, and where's your brother? <laughs> and I, I think that we have been, we have been, we, we are haunted by that act. Yes. And I think as a result, and and this this was of course millennia ago, right? The sort of first recorded murder. Yes. And we're haunted by that. And I think that we have internalized that as a response. And also there are toxic forms of power. You know, I mean, I think so much of our issues today is an unhealth an unhealthy relationship with power we prefer power over instead of power with correct um and white folks are watching what they believe to be their greatest um the thing the thing that they have earned i say that with an asterisk you know that that pa- power is the thing that has afforded right. them hundreds of years worth of oversight and command above all, above everyone. And they are watching themselves um, move into the minority. They are watching themselves be challenged by a racial hierarchy um, that no longer allows themselves to kind of be the de facto deputized 
um, humans who are able right. to, you know, defend all of the traditions and restore all the order and, and right. be, the, be the, the humans who have command over that. And because culture is forcing that shift for them, um, they, I think many of them don't know what other right they have other than to take up arms against those that they believe to be dangerous or different because it is the one thing that the constitution will allow them to, you know, to, to, to rest in. They, well, they can't I, rest in these hierarchies of, and, and in, you know, minority or majority any longer. Well, it, is the second amendment for individuals or is it for military? The right to bear – because I've heard people argue that the right to bear arms is like f for a, a military or, you know, there, there's a right to have an army. Right. Not the right for individuals to possess guns. And that's normally how it's used. Yeah, I mean, I think it is um, – so – the, the actual wording of the Second Amendment says that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, it, it starts with a conversation around a well-regulated militia. Yeah. Um, but then it says that the right of the people to keep and bear arms. And because of that, I think the interpretation has shown that it protects a, a private citizen's individual right to have arms for themselves. And I mean, there have been Supreme Court cases that have spoke to this, this, this curiosity and this question. Um, I'm with you in being radically curious around what the four bearers of this nation really were seeking to do in that second amendment mm -hmm. and really seeking to say. Um, but I think the challenge that we have is that regardless of intent, which is a, you know, a very slippery and precarious word. Yeah. Not only does the second amendment, but also the Supreme court case outcomes regarding second amendment cases have showed that it protects an individual's right to have arms of their own. Um, and I, I, I'm with you on that though. There, there is a, a curiosity there. Yeah. I mean, it, it brings to mind hermeneutics, right? Like how do we really interpret this? Does context matter or do, or, you know, in a, in a season or in a world of context collapse, are we just no longer concerned with context? And that's where that's where people interpreting the Bible get, you know, things wrong. Um, history too, you know, like how do we read the Second Amendment with a corrective lens that actually creates conditions for a more loving world? Because I, I'll be the first to say and probably not the last, I don't think that having more guns on the street creates a more loving world. Absolutely. But on my Instagram feed, I posted something about the Rittenhouse verdict, and people came after me in the comments 
saying that I don't understand the Second Amendment and this is why we need more guns on the street. He defended himself. And I thought, we're, we're there. Like, we, we've arrived at pro-vigilante, pro-militia. And if we thought Charlottesville was a blip on the screen, I mean, we're, we're far down the road on this thing. And that feels very scary to me. It does. It feels very scary to me too. You know, I am, um, and I don't know that Canada is the place where I'm going to seek refuge, you know, <laughs> right. like, right. Cause, cause American power follows you everywhere. Right. There is a, um, so two days ago, Marjorie Taylor green, um, I, like, I, I feel like I, it makes me feel dirty just saying her name. Um, <laughs> she, she really is something. So she posted on her Twitter feed that she had personally invited Kyle Rittenhouse to be the grand marshal of the Rome, Georgia Christmas parade that's happening next week, about an hour south of me. And um, several of us will be going down there um, next week to just, you know, hold public witness and um, dissent from this mockery yeah. of the Advent tradition, you know, around awaiting the arrival of a peace-filled Christ child with the riding of a murderer on a fire truck in front of Santa Claus through a city in Georgia. Um, But I mention that because I am, I am with you from a, from a safety standpoint, from a, from a fear standpoint, I am largely not fearful when I'm in the streets because of the privilege that I carry. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, a white woman who is tall in stature. Yeah. Um, I, I don't tend to draw attention other than my hair sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not going to be perceived normally as someone who is dangerous or, you know, needs to be shut up or, um, but, but the, the, this, the, the permission that I feel as if this verdict has given to those who feel as if their voices were not being heard and now have been magnified really does freak me out. It really does scare me. And I, you know, I, Tuesday will be the first time that I will, you know, be going someplace where I will, I, I recognize that I will be thinking a little differently yeah. about what is happening around me and who it is that's watching me and what someone might have under their winter coat. Like I, right. I and I, I don't want to, I don't want that to be my world. And I also recognize that if I feel that way, as being who I am and looking the way that I look, I can't even for the life of me fathom what it's like for um, someone whose skin tone is darker than mine, someone whose um, gender is um, different than mine, someone who presents in a way that that's, that is not... That, that, that identifies them as other yeah. in the eyes of someone yeah. 
that's yeah. that's white in this country. I just was uh, Blake was over last night, and we we were talking about um, how the state privileges legibility. That one of the reasons why the state works is because these are there are categories of legibility, so race being one, gender being one, marital status being one, and. And I realized that so much of my anxiety as a scholar and and whatnot is is if I am legible to the state, then then they have won. And so my attempt to practice a kind of fugitivity into always be destabilizing legibility yeah. uh, is my tactic and my strategy. And also it's anxiety producing mm-hmm. because I am that person who shows up to events who you can't quite tell, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm illegible. Right. And, and that that makes me visible in a certain way and and not visible in other ways and that in between space is is hard to be in but i would much rather choose a lack of legibility to the state than being hyper visible you know um Whereas someone like yourself kind of blends in. Right. Right. And there's a kind of fugitivity in that too, of blending in. Sure. Um, but yeah, the 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 times we are living in is 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 precarious for so many of us. And and let's not forget that, you know. We are, we are speaking, we have spoken mostly in this episode so far about, you know, our, 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 our jury system, our justice system, our, our understanding or lack thereof of the Second Amendment, the ways in which whiteness is privileged in those spaces. But all of the other isms that are problematic in our world today were on full display Yep. During the time that Kyle Rittenhouse was attempting to, you know, do whatever he said he went to Kenosha to do. I mean, you know, he claims he was there to protect businesses and car dealerships from looters and rioters. Right. And here we have, you know, capitalism, this understanding that it is the white man's job right. to be the purveyor and the keeper of all of the funds and all of the monetary assets of the country right. in ways that protect us and, and, and keep us safe. Um, you know, we have a, a judge who said that we, that, that they were not allowed to refer to the people that Rittenhouse shot as victims, right? Um, that they were be to be referred to as rioters or arsonists or looters, right? And and that was all that the judge would allow. And so our 
our, which is already a bias. Exactly. I mean, our, our lack of ability to, na- to, to use language in a way that is nuanced and yeah. that is, that is true um, speaks to this supremacist overtone of, of, of an, of an academic mind of this judge yeah. that, that there, there is only one way yeah. that someone can be perceived. I mean, the last time I checked Anyone that has been shot is a victim, right? Whether they are shot in defense of a of a crime or not, um, if if you if you take someone that has a gunshot wound into a hospital, they are called a victim. They are called a victim. They are, yeah. they are called. They are not. They they're are not a, called a rioter. They're not called a rioter. Like we've got a rioter in behind curtain number one, right? You know that that's bleeding out from their abdomen, right? No, there's a victim. They are a victim, and so right. I mean th- this. I mean this. The way that things like supremacy and capitalism and and you know a a, a lack of care are are also part of this conversation yeah. and and we and you know as as you and I often talk about these things are folded together and knitted together in a tapestry that is never able to be pulled apart but I think people are looking at this verdict as something that is a success for those who want to defend themselves Mm -hmm. and losing sight of the fact that all of the other, all the rest of the bullshit that is trying to be composted is as much a part of this conversation as the fact that two men died. One is now, you know, in, in a wheelchair and Kyle Rittenhouse Yes, free. Is, is free, is is walking around free, um, you know, and has the audacity to say that he he wishes none of this had ever happened. He wishes none of this. Um, he, he was he's really relieved that the jury did what they did and he wished none of this would have ever happened. Well, there was there's only one way that you can correct or could have corrected that none of this would have happened. And that would have been to not show up right. with a military style rifle. Right. And determined that shooting someone was your first and best option. And, you know, why are we allowing anyone to have an AR-15, much less a 17-year-old? What I mean, what are we teaching our kids? Right. How, how do we... Not just what are we teaching them. I mean, it was his parents that drove him there. It was his parents that encouraged him to go. Um, I mean, uh, you know, kids that age don't get those kinds of guns normally by walking into a store or even a gun show and buying them themselves. They they get them because they have a supervision, a supervisor of some sorts alongside them, whether it's a mentor or a parent that authorize the purchase of that weapon. These rights of masculinity you know, um, are very scary to me because the the narrative is he became a man. He defended his country. Right. We used to think that people went into the military to become a man. I mean, there's problems with that too. But now it's like you can just defend – quote unquote, defend a community mm-hmm. and and become a man. Uh, it's very scary to me. 
Yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah. Tim Wise, who um, is a um, author that, that we have spoken of occasionally on this podcast, wrote a really interesting medium article um, a few days ago. And the thing that he speaks of most is this white male um, vigilantism yeah. as an American tradition. Yeah. Um, and he said, but of all the blame we might seek to assign for the trial's outcome and the tragedy that brought it about in the first place, most of it rests with an entity not formally in the Kenosha courtroom at all. It's an entity never put on trial, no matter its culpability for great harm. It is the nation itself, or more to the point, the culture within which Kyle Rittenhouse, the jury, and quite frankly, all of us have been raised and nurtured. And it is the culture that taught Kyle Rittenhouse the value and virtue of vigilantism. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, is a little bit of an ouch because, yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, he's, he's spot on. That was yeah. not a part of the trial. And yet it is what, it is what has always been the way of this country. Yeah. It is what, it is what taught those, you know, hundreds of years ago to take up arms it is what allowed bounties to be placed on the heads of indigenous people. It's what allowed for slave patrols. It's what allowed for, you know, for uh, every formation of, of vigilante justice to, to occur in this country. Um, and it's the thing that never shows up. And, and if we think that our culture has not been militarized, we are really missing the point. Correct. Because – Vigilantism is a is a quality and texture of militarization. It may not be institutionalized, but but it is kind of institutionalized within white masculinity. Yes, and um, and and you know we may have someone that's interning on Capitol Hill soon that you know that right that, that embodies that in all the ways. Yeah. So more work to do. Much more work to do. Um, I wonder if you saw the poem that was being shared several days ago after the verdict um, called Cain and Abel um, as a response to this this trial. You, you mentioned um, the Cain and Abel story earlier on this episode, Robin, and I wonder if you um, heard that poem over the last few days. I didn't. Um, I, would you Would you be okay if I ended this episode with with the reading of that yeah. as we go I into it? Poetry. I think it's I, haven't, a, I haven't read my I haven't read my poem for the day, so this will be my poem for the day. Okay, so this is a, a poem by Sarah Speed, um, and you can follow her at Writing the Good. That's her Instagram handle. Um, and we'll we'll end this this episode with this poem. I think it'll help all of us do a little bit more connecting the dots as we as we go into the holiday. Last week, a boy who was old enough to carry a gun and child enough to shoot it was found innocent. As the gavel fell, God asked, "Cain, where is your brother?" The court did not answer. Last week, I watched a mass of bodies waving flags and stirring up fear weave through the city like a snake. I had to Google their symbols. 
Google said it was the Proud Boys, descendants of Cain. Mm. So next week, we'll sit down together and pass sweet potatoes and gravy boats, but a chair will be empty because Abel has gone missing. His blood cries out from the ground. Mm. Last week, God asked, Cain, where is your brother? And this nation still hasn't answered. And I don't want to be thankful without remembering that. Wow. It's powerful. Indeed. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, Sarah Sneed, for that. Those yeah. words. I, um, I've been ruminating on them a lot over the last yeah. few days. So, well, friends, thanks for joining us this week. We hope that your holiday, if you are choosing to celebrate it, is full of laughter and community and all of the things that bring you joy. And we hope that if you're choosing not to celebrate it, that you find peace in your solitude and um, just a real uh, recentering and spaciousness that you deserve because you are human and you are worthy of all those things. Um, follow us at Activist Theology. Don't forget to send us um, any feedback or information that you have that you want to give us. You can do that at Activist Theology on all of the platforms. We'd encourage you to join in the app. Uh, we are having some robust conversations over there, and you can do that by visiting www.atporch.com. That's activist theology, atporch.com. And until next week, Dr. Robin. Let's get free, y'all. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast. We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. Oh, my boss, my payment. You are listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.